I want to start off today by talking about a concept that everybody, a little phrase that everybody knows well, right? Little kids say this all the time. And if you know it with me, as soon as I start, you're going to pick it up like a word or two in. Just say it with me. But we got to say it like in a little kid voice. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? You know, kids, when they get picked on, especially when they're bullied by words and things like that, that's what we say. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Somebody somewhere made up this pithy little saying to try to counteract the truth. Contrary to the saying, words do hurt. We try to make up this little saying to try to talk ourselves out of being hurt, but the reality is that when people say hurtful things, they hurt. Maybe they don't physically hurt us. Maybe they don't land like physical blows and leave bruises or cuts or welts on us, but they hurt emotionally. They drag us down and they threaten to pull us under. Amen? Words hurt deeply sometimes. Let me, let me give you an example. Now, I wasn't, I'm, I know I'm a big guy, and I know that for a lot of people I'm intimidating, but let me just tell you something, that wasn't until I was an adult that that happened, because when I was a kid, everybody, everybody made fun of me. They called me a wimp, and many other colorful ways of saying that, and 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 that really hurt, you know, when I was growing up. I mean, I, when I graduated high school, I was literally about half the man I am now. Literally. I mean, I was still this tall. But there was like half of me. 6'2", 152 pounds is what I wrestled my senior year of high school. And I did not have to cut weight. I could eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I'd stay. I would, I would make weight by two pounds easy. Eating whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. Just as tall as I am now. Uh, people, though, they made fun of me. You know, I was the skinny little late bloomer, right? And so this got me in fights, especially in high school when I kind of had enough of being uh, being tortured like this and, and you know, uh, and, and in junior high. I remember uh, there was this girl that I was pursuing and, and a guy down the street, and he was not a late bloomer. He was an early bloomer. I mean, this kid was like the Incredible Hulk in eighth grade. He was my friend, lived down the street, and we were both chasing the same girl. He got mad. He starts calling me names telling me a wimp, invites me to meet him halfway down the street, and I could have let this go, but I didn't, and I went down there and got pummeled, right? Because I wasn't going to let him talk to me that way. I mean, this was just stupid. I mean, Jeremy, I can't even remember Jeremy's last name, but Jeremy, man, he, he wore me out. I mean, so bad, I lost, I partially lost vision in one eye, not because it was swole shut, so a nerve or something got pinched there. My mom had to take me to the doctor. I mean, that, this kid beat the pudding out of me in eighth grade. Like I said, he was not a late bloomer, and I was. You know, I remember meeting him, like, we were probably five houses away, and he closed the distance to my house way faster than I could close the distance to his house. And so we ended up on the edge of my front yard, which both of our both of our yards are about a three quarters of an acre apiece. I don't know, man. He must have just hung up the phone and took off sprinting, you know. But I remember as he's coming at me, I'm just like everything I got, just throwing him at him as he's coming at me, and he just mows me down like a freight train, gets me down on the ground, and just beats the snot out of me. 
My freshman year before finals at Mays High School, there was another kid. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be this wimpy guy. And there's this other kid and he, I had no reason to fight this kid. He said something, but I could have walked away and let this go. But he's talking, I mean, this is the week before finals, like the day before finals start, actually. And instead of walking away from this, I'm standing at my locker and all these people are gathered around and, and, you know, there was 250 people in my class at Mays High School. And I, I'm standing there, and I just spin around on my heel, and I just clock this kid as hard as I can. Because the words hurt. And his brother ends up jumping in on it, and then another guy ends up jumping. It's just crazy, but the words being called the, the wimp and being done all these things, I mean, it's pushing me to do stuff, and it's not wise because of the pain that's going on inside of me. You know, the sticks and stones can break my bones, and words do hurt me. My junior year, there was another kid who who, you know, everybody is different school. I was at Leon High, or Bluestone High School in Leon, Kansas at this point. Different kid. I'm in shop class with him. He gets to mouthing off. And rather than, pe- rather than take people calling me a wimp or telling me that I should back down, they're like, you can't let a freshman talk to a junior that way. So after a football game one night, I took him out. We, my wife always is amused by this. In Leon, we didn't want to get kicked out of school for fighting, so we'd go to the gravel pile. Let me tell you what the gravel pile was. It's exactly what it sounds like, a pile of gravel. <laughs> and so if they needed gravel for the dirt roads to, to take ruts out or whatever, the, the county would go or, and pick up gravel there. So we met at the gravel pile and, and went on, and you know, why am I fighting this kid? My senior year of high school, rather than be called a wimp again, rather than let somebody hurt me with their words again, I'm on the, I'm, I'm a defensive end on the football team and, and Brian is the quarterback of the football team and his girlfriend says something and, and, and everybody's egging it on. And so Brian and I, between school and football practice, which is about a five minute window, we went to the gravel pile for 30 minutes with half the school and three quarters of the football team. And I mean, it was just ridiculous. And we go have this whole stupid fight and man, Al Sersland made us wish we would not have fought. They couldn't do anything because we were off school property, except for the fact we were late to football practice. Man, an owl, man, he put it to us. Because words hurt. Because I wasn't going to be talked to that way. Why did I engage on all these fights? It's because all of those years of people calling me a wimp were taking their toll. What I was finding out is that in a very real way, our words have power. The words that other people had spoken over me, the words that I had spoken over myself were starting to dictate a path in my life. They spoke them over me first, but then I started to believe that and I started to speak those over my own life and it said that I'm not going to be this way and they started to dictate a path in my life, this path of brawling over this stuff, this pursuing stuff that wasn't meant to be me, it wasn't meant to define me. I went down this just reckless, reckless path. This is what we want to talk about today. Our words have the power to bless or to curse others in such a tremendous way that it affects the path their life will take. Am I unwittingly doing to someone else what somebody did to me? That is cursing them? Or am I speaking words of blessing and life? 
What about you? Before we get really far into that concept, though, I want to see if the scriptures have to say anything about this. What does God's word have to say about this? So I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 20. And some of you are probably who are familiar with the book of Hebrews and chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. You're probably wondering uh, what in the world is going on? How does this all um, how does this all play in? So give me just a moment to, to, to deal with this and, and, and to read the scriptures and then to explore how this all affects. Here's what it says. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, these guys spoke words of blessing that dictated the pathways that people would take in life. Let's pray. Father... We come before you right now. We ask that you would guide and direct in every way. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be blessers and not cursers. Lord, that we would speak life. We talk about in our, in our mission statement, proclaiming his offer of freedom, healing, and life. And yet, Lord, sometimes we unwittingly proclaim something different. And we ask you, Lord, to, to begin to change that inside of us, that we wouldn't speak death to one another, that we wouldn't speak curses over one another, even unwitting curses, but instead we would be blessers. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. So, when we think about invoking blessings... What, what are we thinking about? In these three verses, we see three men who understand the power of the tongue to bless and to curse. I want to briefly explain the blessings that each of these three guys uh, spoke. And you're going to see in your homework, if you do the homework at the end of the week, we, we, we've given the passages out of Genesis that each of these three guys is being talked about, what's going on, and... And we want you to, to be able to go through all of that. Amen? And so, uh, <clears throat> Jacob and Esau, the blessing they received, okay? It's very interesting what's going on here with Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob actually receives Esau's blessing. Now, the word, the name Jacob and Jacob Black, I don't know if you know this or not, but, um, and, and I'm sure this is not what your mom meant, and, and so we're not speaking a curse over you, but the name Jacob actually means deceiver or heel catcher. <laughs> so, so, but we know that's not you, right? Because, and, and even if that's what the name means in Hebrew, you know, Jacob ends up being the, the father of a great nation, amen? 
and, and, and a great name of faith comes down through there. But Jacob, he was the heel catcher, the deceiver. He received the blessing that his brother was supposed to get for, for two different things that caused this to happen. Number one, Jacob bought his brother's blessing from his brother. His birthright is the firstborn. He was out, Esau was out hunting. And Jacob bought the blessing from him for a bowl of soup. Okay, that was the first thing. Now, not saying that, uh, that Isaac wanted to give this blessing away to him. And so the second thing that he did was he deceived his father and he put skins on him that had hair because Esau was real hairy and he used Esau's clothes and his dad was going blind and couldn't see anything. And so Jacob receives the blessing that Esau got or should have gotten. Esau receives his. Now, both were blessed in different ways and... And this is just an interesting thing that's happening here. But see, Isaac spoke this blessing over them. He, he blessed them. And they knew that there was power in those words. He knew that there were power, that there was powers in those words. This goes on into the next generation. Jacob, which was later renamed Israel, which means the redeemed. Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. Now, it's a very interesting twist that happens here again. Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were not, um, were not uh, Jacob's sons. They were his grandsons. And he said, rather than Joseph getting the blessing, he was going to treat Ephraim and Manasseh like they were his own. And so when they come to him, when Joseph brings them to, the, to his father to be blessed, by, by their granddad, and he says, they're going to be like my own kids. And he walks up there, and he has, he has them set up to where one of them is going to get, the, the oldest is going to get the right hand, and the youngest is going to get the left hand. And Jacob does this. And Joseph is not pleased with this, because he knows the power of blessing. And, and he says, no father like this. And he said, no son, I know that I did that, and it's on purpose. And the younger, again, got the, got the bigger blessing. And then Joseph blessed the entire nation of Israel with deliverance from captivity and in, in slavery in Egypt 400 years before it happened. Because he said that they were going to leave. There was going to be an exodus. And he said, take my bones with you. He spoke that blessing. And he set in motion the blessing that, that took a lot of years to come about. But it dictated the pathway of those people's lives for, for a long time. All three of these blessing stories have a major thing in common. They all have a major thing in common. Remember... When we remember when, when uh, Jacob and Esau were first born... There was a prophetic word spoken over him that Jacob would, the one that would come second, when actually the older would serve the younger. And, and then, likewise, when Joseph's sons are being blessed, he switched his hands on purpose. And then we know that God wanted to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Here's the deal. The person pronouncing the blessing was speaking God's plan for the recipient and not their own plan. This is a critical thing for, for blessing. Jacob was supposed to be was supposed to, to be the bigger blessing in God's plan. Jacob was who the, the, the nation 
the, of God's chosen people was going to come through that way. That was part of God's plan. Ephraim, the younger son of Joseph, instead of Manasseh, got the better blessing because that was what God wanted. And these guys, you can see here that the fathers, the father in one instance, said, oh, I want to make sure this is Esau, and he gives him his blessing. But then he resigns to the fact after, after the deceptions revealed that that was God's plan. And then the father in the second one, it's like, no. This is what God wants. This is God's plan. And then we know when Joseph speaks that out about Israel leaving Egypt, that it's God's plan. In order for a blessing to actually bless somebody, it has to be based in God's will. These men were not capable of invoking a blessing in the sense of some kind of spell that they were speaking over someone, but they were in tune with what the Spirit of God was doing in each one of their lives, what the Spirit of God was saying. We've talked, we're starting to talk even more and more about listening to the Spirit of God when you're praying for people and and saying, God, what do you want for this person? And speaking God's will over their life and blessing them with the plan that God has for them rather than going and, and, and getting blessed with the plan that we have for them. So what's that mean if it's each one of them speaking God's plan? It means that blessings that are spoken out of our desires for others are actually curses. I was talking to my son about this the other day. We were talking about, um, you know, God's plan for our life. I want to explain why these things are actually curses, okay? talking about God's plan for our life. And I said, on a scale of 1 to 10... Ten being the best, one being the worst. Where does God's plan for our life rank? He said, ten. I said, always a ten? He said, absolutely, always a ten. I said, so if we come up with another plan that's a nine, that's not God's plan, even though on a scale of one to ten, nine's pretty good, amen? I mean, if we're having a nine at work, we're having a great day, amen? Amen. All right? But you know that nine is actually a curse if ten is actually possible? Because it's less than what God wants for us. A 9, on a scale of 1 to 10, if 10 is actually possible, is a curse. Not a blessing. And that's what happens a lot of times. We, we want to bless people with our plan for them. But we can always walk in God's will for our life. So why would we want to saddle somebody with something less than God's best for their life. I don't think we do this on purpose, but I want to give some examples of how we unwittingly do this, how we we think we're speaking a blessing over them, but what we're actually speaking over them is less than God's plan. Like you have a kid who's really, really smart, like Jacob. And, And you say to Jacob, you're like, oh, you're so smart. You could be anything that you want to be. See, what I've just done right there is I've just cursed Jacob. Because Jacob can't be anything that he wants to be. If Jacob is a born-again child of God, he needs to be exactly what God is calling him to be, not whatever he wants to be. Now, 
Now, I mean that with all the love. You can be anything you want to be. You're a smart guy. You can do all these things. You can be anything you want to be. But see, God has a plan for each one of us. And, and no, Jacob can't. No, Sarah can't. No, Dave can't. And I could go around all the room. We, we, we want what God wants for us. We say, oh, you're so smart. What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor. Okay, you could be that. And, and you know, you're smart enough and you start putting in the plan and we ne- to get all that to happen and we never stop to say, God, what do you want? What do you want? And it may be a nine. And we may have a really productive life, rich in material blessings and all of those things, but there's many people who, when they get into their 60s and 70s, they go, man... God was calling me to do something different along this pathway and because I had my own plans and because people lovingly spoke over my life and, and, and they meant it in love, I was unwittingly encouraged to go down a path that wasn't the path that God had for me. I know a lot of people that are, that are retired at this point that look back at life and go, wow, knowing what I know now, I'd make some different decisions back then. And it's not to beat those people up. But see, we unwittingly speak curses over people's lives. Or what about this one? What about if, if your wife is not a real good cook, but she's really beautiful? And so you always speak to her about her beauty. And it's okay. you need to tell your wife she's beautiful. I'm not trying to say you don't. But you start making her think that everything in her life is dictated by her physical beauty. And then it starts dictating the path of her life. And and she gets older, as we all do. She starts putting on little pounds after the baby. And now now she's doing everything she can to get the weight off. And she starts getting a little laugh lines. And now she's doing all those things. And, you know, so you're like, well, she wasn't a great cook. I couldn't really tell her about that. But I could tell her how beautiful she was. And I spoke that over her life, which is a good thing. It's a compliment. But somehow or another, I got her going down this pathway of pursuing physical beauty. And that's not really who she is. I mean, this is such an epidemic in our world that, I mean... Hello, you can't get a magazine that hadn't been photoshopped. Amen? I mean, d- listen to me. You know, why you, you know why you can run into somebody that's famous on the street and not recognize them? Because you've never seen them what they actually look like. <laughs> They've been photoshopped in everything. No, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? But we get, we're so pursuing this thing. What, what I'm saying is that these are curses because they're undue pressure that we put on people to pursue things or allow things to define them that are not really part of who they are. And we do these by accident. These aren't on purpose. We don't purposely curse people this way. It's an accident. But I don't think any of us really want to do this accidentally. And I think maybe being aware of that it will help us to start praying and saying, God, how do you want to bless this person? But there's another type of curse that comes. This is the type of curse that, that is meant to hurt. And none of us, I don't think anybody in this room wants to curse somebody to intentionally hurt them, yet we do sometimes. Because Satan wants to hurt them. The Scriptures tell us that Satan is a thief who's come to kill, steal, and destroy Part of what he's come to steal and destroy is that blessing from God that we're to receive as children of God. 
And He wants to take those things away. And, and so sometimes these curses come and we unwittingly speak a curse from Satan over others that is meant to harm, that's meant to hurt. We can tell, we can recognize these times by the tone and content of the thing that we say when we go back and review it and think about it. And, and, and sometimes about the reaction that comes out of the recipient of this. Like this way. And I don't think people, I don't think Christian people who love Jesus do this on purpose, but like this one. Oh, son, you're so stupid. Why can't you do this? You're so stupid. See, that's one that's meant to hurt. I'm not saying mom or dad means to hurt with it. I'm saying Satan means to hurt with it. You'll never amount to anything. Oh, you're just like your mother and all of her baggage. See, these are curses that are meant to hurt. And that we say unwittingly, they, they come out of our mouth and we're not really thinking about them. And they've been spoken out. When the Bible talks about cursing, it is not talking about four-letter filth words. That is talked about in another place about filthy words or crude joking. And we shouldn't talk like that as Christians. But cursing, biblical cursing, is that kind of stuff. Oh, you're so dumb. Or speaking something that's not God's will over somebody's life. Or what about this one? This happens all the time. Curses spoken over marriage, over a marriage by one of the mar- by one of the, the spouses. Like when when they say, you know, maybe we ought to just get a divorce. Bam! You have just cursed it right there. When divorce even becomes an option, now it starts working on you, now it starts getting inside of your heart, now it starts getting inside of your thinking, and there's a curse that's been spoken over it. And that's not from the person who, who spoke it out, it's from the enemy who wants to see those curses come. And James tells us in his book that blessing and cursing should not come from the same mouth. But Why? But why? I told you that James says it. John also says it in First John chapter 4. He said that it's actually quite impossible to love God while you're cursing others. By the way, the James and the John passage are part of your homework for this week. And Jesus said the entire law and prophets which, by the way, still applies in today's world, hangs on two commands. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got and love people as yourself. Jesus said the entire law and prophet hangs on these. So why, why is cursing and blessing not supposed to come from, from the same mouth? Here's why. God created us to be a blessing to Himself and to other people. That's why. God did not create you to be a curse. He created you to be a blessing. And this is, hap- and this is summarized, the Christian life is summarized in this way, by loving God and loving people. I want you to just, I know, I know that some of you don't like this, and it's okay, just bear with me. But just say, God did not create me to be a curse. God did not create me to be a curse. He created me to be a blessing. He created me to be a blessing. 
God didn't create you to be a curse. He created you to be a blessing. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. We unwittingly speak curses over our Christian brothers and sisters all the time. This is one of those things where everybody thinks it's just semantics. And it's not. You are not a sinner. The Bible, if you're born again, the Bible does not call you a sinner. Not once that I can find. It calls you a saint over and over and over again. God's called you to be saints. That's the life that he has for you. Speaking that blessing over each other. You are a saint, Adam. You're a saint. Righteous and holy before God. And see, when I speak that to him, he starts thinking, man, I can do this. In the power of Jesus, I can walk out of here and live right. I I can walk out of here and do the right thing. These are powerful blessings that we can speak over people's lives. And I'm loving the brother, not tearing him down when I'm speaking on that. I want to challenge you to build one another up instead of tearing one another down. One practical example of this is how we're planning to bless the people at the end of the service today. With a celebration for what we've accomplished with the roof. Some people might think today's celebration is just an inconsequential time where we eat some cake and get excited about a task we accomplished by by raising all the money for the roof and, and paying ourselves back. But it is actually a time where we bless the church with continued faithful Christian living. For instance, our blessing looks something like this. There on the screen for you. Our finished roof project is the result of faithful sacrificial giving and prayer. This is something OCCA is known for within the community and will continue to be known or will continue to be true for years to come. You are known for this within the community. You are known to be faithful, sacrificial givers inside of the community. You're known that you love God and you want to see the city transformed. That's your heritage. It's going to continue to be true. Now i got a question for you. How does it make you feel? Does it encourage you to know that the community recognizes your faithfulness in God? Does it encourage you to know that pastoral staff who's been here over the years recognizes your faithfulness in God and talks about what a blessing you are? Does it encourage you to know that brothers and sisters here are are blessed by what you've done? Does it make you want to continue serving God more? And in even greater ways? Does it give you joy to know that we did this together? I've been here for 19 months. And and John's going to talk about this and I'm not going to steal a lot of his thunder. I've been here for 19 months. We've put the roof on, on that part of the building. We replaced the chairs. That's about $30,000 worth of improvements that we've done to the building. And we did it without even a hiccup. Just getting ourselves ready to be able to move forward. And we didn't do it because somebody stood up and said, this is what we're going to do. We laid it out and said, here, well, the roof, we're like, we got to do something with the roof. And we wanted to bless the next generation. So we put a, a standing seam roof on so we wouldn't have to redo it again. 
right? But this is something we've done. And John's going to talk about this a little bit. We might look at the, the building renovation and say, okay, are we actually going to be able to do this? It's kind of quite daunting task when we look at $250,000. But see, the reality is we've faithfully done this. But it didn't just start in the last 18 months. I mean, 40 people about moved from up on the hill down to here and got this building and did all of this stuff. And you've been faithful. And if you were here during that time, you are a faithful matriarch or patriarch of this church, a mother and a father, a spiritual mother and father who's helped the church to move forward. And there's many of you who've been here since the 90s and you are faithful and your faithfulness is recognized. Your love for God is recognized and we bless that to continue in your life. But now I want to challenge you to bless other people in the same way. Now, don't get, ready, don't get ready to do this yet. I'm going to do something first. We're going to get our homework first, and then we're going to do this, okay? I want you to look around the room at friends and family. I want you to prayerfully consider the wonderful things these folks have done. Ways that you've seen Jesus shine through in their life. And then I want you to go speak the blessing to them. Especially consider speaking a blessing over them about the positive example they've been in Christ. And I want to model it for you. And our life groups that are sermon-based this week, are going to do, you're going to practice this in your life group. But I wrote out a blessing for Ron. And I want to speak this blessing over Ron. Ron, you've been a model of what a compassionate heart of outreach looks like. You were faithful for years to invite Mark and Jimmy to worship at OCCA. And your Christian witness and persistence has blessed him with a new church family. And likewise, he's now inviting others to come here of the freedom, healing, and life that are available in Jesus. Your tender heart for the Lord and for other people will continue to be a beacon that draws people to Jesus for years to come. I didn't write that, I mean, I wrote that blessing on my own, but that's what I hear other people talking about, your faithful heart to witness to people, to want to see people come into the kingdom. Your whole church family recognizes this. Guys, I want you to speak blessings to one another, to build one another up. Before we do that, I want to give you the homework for the week so that we can have time to process this all. Monday, Genesis chapter 27, 1 through 40. Tuesday, Genesis 48, 1 through 22. And we're going to leave this up for quite a while. Wednesday, Genesis 50, 22 through 26. Those first three days are the various passages about Isaac and Joseph and Jacob. Thursday, James 3, 1 through 12. And Friday, 1 John 4, 7 through 21. These are the passages that I mentioned where it talks about we can't be a blessing and a curse. And then Saturday is a special passage out of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5, where we're told to pursue love by to pursue the love of God by prophetically blessing one another. We want this to become a part of the culture of the church where we speak blessings over one another. And so we're going to stop right now. We're going to pray 
And then we're going to have some quiet music playing in the background as we look around the room and take about five minutes to bless one another before we move into our offering time. So let's pray. Father, you've called us to be a people of blessing. Lord, we recognize this, and we've recognized this for many years as our mission statement says, proclaiming his offer of freedom, healing, and life. We know that proclaiming freedom, healing, and life is what you've called us to do as people. We've recognized that as a body, and we ask you today, Lord, that, that a lot of times we think about proclaiming it out there, but Lord, would you help us to proclaim freedom, healing, and life over one another today in this setting? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.